we now join the Bible study at St. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. We welcome all of you to Bible class today, especially our listening audience at, on KFUO. We'll be studying the lessons, but this week it's not the lessons for next Sunday. Well, actually it is. But we're reading the lessons for the 19th of November on the 12th, and we're switching them so that the choir's in uh, special mode to, uh, for special music on the 19th that goes with the lessons. So we switched them. Okay? So we're reading the lessons that we're going to preach on here at uh, St. Paul's next week but they'll be the week after for everyone else. All right, so we're going to start with a Old Testament lesson that uh, most people are not very familiar with because most people have not paid much attention to the book of Zephaniah, okay? It's one of those minor prophets that we don't read all the time. But it's the Old Testament lesson because once we get past, now that we're past Reformation, and going into the end of the church year, the focus is on the second coming of Christ and end times. So the lessons tend to reflect that as we get later into the church year before we begin Advent 1. The church year's ending, so the focus is on the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. And this is one of the lessons that has been chosen, and you will see why. Uh, shortly. Now let's talk about Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet, and we're told he prophesied in the time of Josiah. Josiah was the king of Judah from 640 to 609 BC. The things that's remarkable about Josiah. First of all, he came to the throne when he was eight years old. Eight years old. In the 18th year of his reign, when he would have been 26, they made a remarkable discovery. They were trying to repair the temple, and they found the book of the covenant, they called it, and what it actually was, was, were the five books of Moses. They'd only been lost for six, eight hundred years. That's true. So, that's what kind of spiritual decline had been in Judah. Now, that was in the second part of his reign. We believe Zephaniah prophesied during the first part of the reign, his reign. 
Once they found the book of the law, they instituted all kind of reforms in Judah. They tore down all the idols. They followed, tried to follow the law. They celebrated Passover again, hadn't done that in hundreds of years. So there was a grand reformation. We think that Zephaniah prophesied before that reformation began. So we're talking about the years maybe 640 to 630 BC. Assyria had already wiped out the northern kingdom, Samaria, and there was Judah. So let's start through this and see why this is chosen as a passage for one of the last Sundays in the church year. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his priests. This is Zephaniah 1, 7 to 16. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and king's sons and all who array themselves in formal foreign attire. Okay. For the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord, that imagery is used in the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, it's used in different ways, but it's always a day of the Lord's judgment. What's being talked about here is a day of judgment upon Judah for their idol worship. They had turned against God. Idol worship was prolific. They hadn't found the Book of the Covenant yet. It had deteriorated for years. And the prophecy is there's a day of judgment, a day of the Lord that's going to come. You're not going to get off you're not getting a go-free card on this one. God is coming on a day of judgment. Now, what would that be? Well, we could point to it here and say it would be the day the Babylonians destroyed Judah and Jerusalem. That's the day of the Lord that's being talked about. Judgment upon those that are worshiping idols. But we have to keep in mind that the day of the Lord is a bigger concept. And days of the Lord in the past point to the day of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ's second coming. That's the ultimate day of the Lord.
And what happens on that day? Those who have turned from God and do not believe in Jesus Christ are subject to judgment. And those that do believe are vindicated. They are believers, and the world knows it on that day. So judgment and vindication, law, gospel. Okay. That's what happens on the day of the Lord. That's what happens when Jesus Christ comes. But already in the Old Testament, the days of judgment are being called the day of the Lord. So that's what Zephaniah is saying. So he's talking about the judgment then and a foreshadowing of the judgment to come, which is why this passage was probably chosen for this time of the church here. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Now, his guests, that's not Judah. Consecrated his guests means he's appointed those that will carry out his judgment. They're the guests. The nations will be God's tool to bring judgment. And in this case, it was Babylon. It would ultimately be Babylon. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice... I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. This is probably reference to the fact that not even the highest officials in the land are going to escape. And they're dressed in foreign attire as a... Uh, it's an allusion here to the fact that they've gone after foreign gods. Okay. They've gone after foreign gods. So not even the rich, the wealthy, the high officials are going to um, be able to avoid the punishment on the day of the Lord. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Leaping over a threshold is an, uh, another phrase that is pointing us to something that went on. The god Dagon had a temple, and when you entered that temple, you were to leap over the threshold. So this is an allusion to those who were worshiping the god of Dagon. And who bring violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. That's different parts of Jerusalem. In other words, it's saying nobody gets away. Nobody will avoid it. And, you know, that's like it is with the second coming of Christ. There's not going to be any place to hide. Not going to be any place to hide. All right. 
crash in the hills, wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more, all who weigh out silver are cut off, all merchants. This is referring to all merchants and traders. They're subject to judgment too. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. All right. So there's no place to hide. The Lord's going to search the place with lamps. That's just putting it in human terms. But the complacency is the problem. In other words, the complacency that people don't think God is a factor to deal with anymore. They've written him off. It doesn't matter what we do. He's not going to do us good or he's not going to do us bad. He's just out there. And they did not see him as God. They did not see him as a God who punishes. They do not, did not see him as a God who saves. He's just nothing. Just nothing. And that way, they just totally ignore him. And that's the problem. If we want to worship idols, we'll worship idols. If we don't want to worship, we don't have to. It's not going to affect us. How many in the people, how many of the people in the world today say that? How many people in the world think we're crazy for being here? Studying God's Word. There is no God. There is no God. They don't believe there's going to be any retribution, any salvation. They just ignore it. And unfortunately, there's lots of people that do that and believe they can do what they want when they want to because there is no accountability to a God. No accountability. None. Verse 13, their goods shall be plundered and their homes laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Have a nice day. I mean, that's it. That's what 
was going to happen when the Babylonians came. It was going to be a great day of the Lord, a day of wrath. And that's what the second coming of Christ is going to be for all those that do not believe in Jesus Christ. And the prophets don't paint it as a pretty picture, and it shouldn't be. This is a side of God we don't like to talk about, frankly. We love the pictures of the good shepherd carrying sheep, not hurling fire. But that's God, too. And he does mean business. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from that. To save us from dealing with that side of God. Okay? A just God who demands justice. Well, Jesus Christ got the justice for us paid the price for us, so that we have nothing to fear. But this is the kind of, of uh, reading, then, that's chosen to remind us, you know, we get complacent about that too, don't we? You don't get up every morning and say, this is the day Jesus is coming. I get up in the morning and say, I wish he would, sometimes. Don't we all? But that's usually not what we rise and think about every day. Maybe today's the day. We go weeks without thinking about it. So this time in the church here, we remind ourselves that he does promise to come again. He does promise to come again. All right. Questions, comments about that lesson? Yeah, Janet. Um, that is a question that scholars have debated for centuries. Will the believers be removed and not see the judgment? We usually say as Lutherans, we do say as Lutherans, we will be here. We will see it. We don't believe that the Christians will be taken to heaven before the judgment. It's one act of God. It's the day of his coming. And we are told that the believers will rise and that the unbelievers will rise to, to judgment, not to salvation. So we believe and teach that, yes, we will see it. Yes, we will see it. There are some in Christendom that don't believe that. But we, we believe that we will. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah, Don. Yeah, (laughs) 
they were the priests. The priests are the ones that found them. There were still priests in the temple. Uh, in all age, you remember when Elijah fled? And, and he said, I, I, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, you're not. There's 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's why we always teach that the church is invisible. It's in the heart. There's a visible church. That's wherever the word is preached and the sacrament is administered. Sacraments are administered. But the invisible church is faith in the heart, and only God can see that. So I don't believe that at this time there was nobody in, in Judah that believed. But by and large, they had gone after idols or were totally apathetic towards the cause. All right, other things? All right, let's move on. Now we get the New Testament version of the day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Paul wrote Thessalonians while he was uh, ministering to the people in Corinth, uh, probably about 50, 51 A.D. Okay? So... Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Evidently, Paul had already taught them about this. He had already spoken with them. They already knew it, but they weren't applying it. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, there it is, will come like a thief in the night, okay? While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Same message as Zephaniah. Same message. There's not going to be any escape. And notice... When people are saying there's peace and security, ignoring God, just like Zephaniah, ignoring God. Now, when it says like a thief in the night, the illusion there is not a thief coming to your house. The illusion there is actually a thief who is robbing a house at night and suddenly dawn comes and he gets caught, okay? That's the way we read this, okay? Dawn comes. But you are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, okay? As if suddenly the sun dawns on you and you're not ready. Now, the darkness and the light we're going to see in here uh, are used in this passage in the early part of believers, non-believers, okay?
For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not in the night or of the darkness. There it is. So, then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, in other words, don't sleep, act like you're in the darkness. Um, doesn't mean don't go to sleep. It's talking about behavior. And be sober. This is not a reference to alcohol. The term here is much broader, and it means balanced and temperate. Balanced and temperate in all things. In all things. Not just alcohol. And those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. That immediately makes us recall the armor of God that is in Ephesians chapter 6, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. That's in Ephesians 6. Here he's listing only part of that, okay? The armor of God is Christ. Now, when you were baptized, it specifically says when you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ like a garment. That's got an illusion. That's an illusion to putting on the armor of God. You put on Christ. Christ is the one that fights for you. You don't stand a chance. Christ is the one that fights for you. So in your baptism, you were clothed with Christ. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake, that's alive, or asleep. Now, this time, sleep is not referring to living in darkness. Awake or asleep means alive or dead. You see, there was issues here with people asking the question, who is going to heaven, and if you've already died, is it too late? So he's saying, whether you're alive or you've already died in Christ, okay, we might live with him. Don't worry about those that died. They died believing in Christ. They're in him. Just like we who are alive. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Okay? 
So this lesson picks right up on Zephaniah and is the New Testament version of Zephaniah. Paul talking to the people in Thessalonica about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Questions about this one? Yes, Bill. Yeah, I think he was. Um, you, you've got to know how the the gospel is used in two ways in the Bible, in theological writings. There's the gospel in the narrow sense, and there's the gospel in the broad sense. The gospel in the narrow sense is the preaching that you have the forgiveness of sins through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the narrow gospel. The broad term means the whole word of God, judgment and gospel. And you have to look at the context to see which one is being referred to. When Luther talks about the gospel being rained down on the nations and it being deflected off, he's using it in the broad sense. In the narrow sense, it's only the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. So when he makes a statement like that, uh, you think of the broad sense as, as God's word is both forgiveness and life, and then condemnation and death if you reject it, if you reject it. All right, anything else? Yes. Yes. No, it it could be. It could be used to give assurance to those who have lost loved ones that they have eternal life in Christ. Very definitely. Very definitely. All right, let's move on to Matthew 25. Now, this lesson takes a different turn. The first two have declared the day of the Lord, both Zephaniah and the Apostle Paul. This lesson takes a different emphasis, and it is, what do you do while we're waiting? Okay? What do you do while we're waiting on the day of the Lord? And that's the emphasis of this passage. Okay. 25, 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received, okay, then he went away, okay. What we're dealing with is a master who went away. How are we gonna apply this? Jesus ascended into heaven. And he went away and he entrusted everything he gives us to us according to our ability. Now, he's not saying, okay, one's not so good, one's not. What's being looked at here is not how much you get. It's your faithfulness with what you have. That's the emphasis. Your faithfulness with what you have. God's not going to judge you based on what you don't have. He's given you what you have. This is not a quantity argument. You see, that's what people believed. Even in the days the Pharisees taught, if you are a wealthy person, that means God is happy with you. Okay? How many people believe that in our world? Too many. So, Jesus starts out by simply saying, we're not looking at the quantity here, we're looking at, are you faithful with what you have? Not with what you don't have. All right. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. In other words, when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering when you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, I think the key phrase in this parable is the phrase, I knew you to be a hard man. 
This guy didn't know the gospel. This guy didn't know the gospel. This guy didn't know that God had sent his son to die for him on the cross of Calvary so that he could have forgiveness and everlasting life. Therefore, no motivation. The first two, it seems they were motivated by the goodness of the man. They wanted to do something for him. But the third one was so worried that he was so hard, he conducted his life in fear. Wouldn't take chances. Wouldn't take risks. Didn't trust his master. And therefore, he took what was his and was greedy and kept it and did nothing with it. But it all goes back. He had a different view of the master than the other two. Now, there's another parable that's kind of like this one, and it's the ten minutes. And that's in the Gospel of Luke. Only it's different in that in that parable, everybody is given the same amount. Not differing amounts, the same amount. We believe that that parable is referring to your use with of the gospel message. Because everybody has that. This one is everything that God gives you. Everything that God gives you. All right. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. All right. This is a picture of the final judgment. If you have, you have it all. You have forgiveness of sins, and the works that you did that were good or accepted by God, everything is good. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then your sins are not forgiven, and nothing you do is considered good by God because it wasn't done through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's all or nothing. That's what it is here. It's all or the guy has even what he had taken from him. Nothing. Nothing. A picture of the final judgment. So to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I think the has not means 
has not faith in Christ. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness so that uh, to that place, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't you love it when we read these gospel lessons and the last sentence is, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. No, it's not. It is in the broad sense, not in the narrow sense. Okay? So, notice that sentence. I, I'm, I'm going to give a little extra sermon here. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. It's one of my favorite verses. And it applies to us. It applies to St. Paul's Lutheran Church. You think we haven't been given much here? For a hundred and sixty-eight years? This place has grown from the time it was a log cabin to what it is today. How many souls have come through this church? We did a study when we had one of our anniversaries and there was a baby baptized every other Sunday for 168 years. That's how many baptisms have been done here. The Lord has richly blessed this place and richly blessed the people who are in this place. The word has been proclaimed. The sacraments had been administered. People have come to Christ. People have remained in the faith. It is a massive operation that has been blessed in my tenure. Whatever this congregation undertakes, God has blessed it and prospered it. We have been entrusted with much. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? More. We're not going to sit around fat, dumb, and happy saying we've arrived. We've done all things well. We don't need to do anymore. We don't need to... To, to sacrifice anymore. We don't need any more challenges. We're just going to stay the status quo. Is that what this passage says? For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. We have been richly blessed and God has given us many, many gifts, not only as individuals, but as a church and a school. And we have to be ready to meet the challenge for the future. Not the status quo. We have been given much. And we can use that to the blessing of this community and to do the work of the Lord. So my friends, 
gird up your loins and get ready because we're not going to ever accept the status quo. God has blessed us and we are going to continue to use everything he has given us to be a blessing to this community, to each other, and in the future. Sermon over. All right, questions about this lesson? We've got some time. Yeah. He'd have been better off than what he did because he tried. And, you know, that's, that's uh, risk-taking. There's risk-taking in the Bible. Was it a risk for a guy to build a boat as big as a football field in his backyard? Was it a risk when Jesus stood on the shore and his disciples were in the boat and had fished all night. And he said, cast it on the other side. Oh, do we really have to do that? They took the risk. I think taking a risk is a reflection that the man probably had a different view of God. A different view of God. We've tried things here at St. Paul's, and they've failed. Should we stop trying? No. You take risks for the kingdom. And some are blessed, and some don't go so well. But you don't stop. You don't stop. Yeah. Yeah, the comment is that uh, the guy that buried his talent not only had a problem with the master and his God, but also had a problem with using what he had for his neighbor. And by burying it, you don't use it at all. Don't use it at all. That's true. Okay, I saw another one. Yeah, Randy. No. That's right. Uh, the, the fact, the number of talents didn't matter. And that's what we said at the start. It doesn't matter. What's being looked at here is how are you faithful with whatever you have? Big or little. You're not judged on what you don't have and can't do. You're judged on what you do have and can do. Yes. Yes, I mean that's that's certainly a way you can look at it. The first two servants, the comment is did the first two look at the master as 
uh, one who, where forgiveness was possible, and the third didn't think that forgiveness was possible. I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, Peter, after he denied Christ three times, believed he could be forgiven. That was the difference between he and Judas. Judas didn't believe he could be forgiven. Peter did. Yes. Well, and see, that just, it's, a, it's kind of a uh, snowball going downhill. You don't believe in forgiveness. You believe the master is judgmental. You don't believe the master loves you. That then is a totally different way to look at life than under the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting for Christ's sake. So, uh, it, it's, it's the, uh, the dichotomy between the first two and the third one is very, very clear. Yes, Fred. Yeah, you know, um, everybody has good days, bad days, good years, bad years, and uh, but you don't stop living the next year because this year was a bad one, okay? But you look to the future and say, with faith in God, I'm going to be blessed. Good or bad, I'm going to be blessed. And you move to the future under his hand of blessing under his hand to bless. All right, anything else? All right then, let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. See you next week.